0: Hello, everyone.
1: Hi, Jamie. How are you? Who's that?
0: That's Katarina. No. (laughs) Hi, Katarina.
1: Jamie, don't you get it? Hm? What? Just now, you just asked me who was that?
2: was.
0: I'm sorry you lost me. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) Sorry, this is on replays now and it's totally got me being totally stumped by something I'm totally listening Anyway, hi Katarina, how's vacation?
3: Hi, everything is good, thank you, how are you? How's your summer?
0: Very warm over here, very, very warm. Heat alerts over here.
3: Oh, yeah, same in Germany. My, yeah. I heard, and then Portugal was the same. So, how how is it? You don't have AC, I guess. So
0: sorry, I was just sharing the room. No, we don't really have AC. It's not really a thing here. Not really ever had TV one. We've got fans, obviously, and stuff like that, but we don't have a uh, AC. If if that's what you asked, if I, in case I misheard the question.
4: Do you have anything on the
0: agenda today, Caterina? You going to another beach today? What's your plan?
3: Oh, today? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, the weather's not too good today. So we were, uh, I don't know, different things, but nothing special. Thank you.
0: I was reading up on the Qubit teleportation and it sounds really, really cool. I'm actually quite looking forward to um, the guest and the doctor's explanation on it. I want to understand it better. I I don't understand Qubits very well. This is why I love science society, though. I always come away a little bit smarter. Or at least more comfortable with being confused. There's always something to wait to grow here i love that welcome everybody thank you for coming
3: We'll start in around three minutes. Thank you everyone for coming. Um, Yep, it will be an exciting room. I agree, it's really interesting. And um, yeah, let's see what we will learn today. (laughs) No, it should be really interesting. I had the chance to look at the presentation. And you right now have a chance too, so. I'll, um, I'll share actually the nature paper in the chat really quick.
0: Thank you. Cool. Open teleportation. I'm there. (laughs) But it's not it's not like Star Trek teleportation, though, it's, uh, it's qubit teleportation, which is different.
1: I just watched the latest episode of Star Trek Strange New World, so this is fresh in my mind. I'm re- I'm ready. I'm ready for that.
0: <laughs> did, did they actually cover qubit teleportation in Star Trek Strange New World? No.
1: Hi Hans.
3: Oh,
5: sorry. Hi
3: Hans, Hello.
5: how are you? Good. Can you hear oh, as well? You.
1: Hello. Sorry? Dr. Hi Hans.
5: Hey.
3: Yeah, so uh I'm not sure if you met um, Cecilia, him, and Jamie yet. Um, welcome. And yeah, meet um, our co-moderators Cecilia, him, and Jamie. Um, and yeah,
1: thank you for coming. Yeah, I know we were in yeah. the yes. onboarding yeah. room, remember?
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah we, we, we go back along. Very we go well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> How you, how's your day today?
5: Yeah, great. It's really uh, it's really warm here in in Netherlands. Um, but yeah, I think it's a common theme uh, now.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Likewise, over here as well, we've got like heat warnings and stuff like that over here too. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me Not... uh,
5: well, or uh, should I change? Very your well.
0: Terms? Okay. Nice. Very very well. Thank you.
3: Yeah, everyone is very excited about this discussion. So we really appreciate you coming. If you also look into the room chat, um, it's on the left hand, the the little speech bubble, people share how excited they are. Thank you everyone for coming. (laughs) Okay, we'll start in one minute. Let me just share on Twitter that we are starting. And... I'll start with the introduction, and then we will go from there. Okay. okay, so welcome everyone to the Science Society here today. And a special warm welcome to um, Hans um, um He is our guest speaker here today. And yeah, as I said, we are very excited to hear about your work and uh, before we do that, let me um, give um, the audience a little bit of um, background information so that they get to know you a little bit. Um, Hans Boecker studied both physics and was also in medical school at the University of Groningen and he did his master research projects of physics at the QTech lab of Ronald Hansen for, and for medicine in cardiac electrophysiology at the Leiden University Medical Center. Then he decided to continue with his PhD in physics um, at the lab of Ronald Hansen. He is currently working on um, three-party remote entanglement and quantum network consisting of nitrogen vacancy centers in diamond and he is also researching tin vacancies centers in diamond and um, which is a new promising platform that might alleviate the main drawback of um, the nitrogen vacancy centers uh, because it's low entanglement uh, generation rate and in his spare time, if you can believe, <laughs> like studying medicine and physics, like he has some spare time. And uh, he likes to play double bass and bass guitar. And he is the member of the Q Tech band, uh, which has um, which had the honor to play during the two Q Tech summer barbecue and the Christmas party. And during the summer, he likes to spend his time on the water on different type of sailing boats. Sounds like a very amazing, interesting life you're <laughs> you're having. So congratulations <laughs> on that, too. And um, before we um, go into your presentation, Cecil and Jamie would like to ask you like a couple of general questions. And then you're welcome to start with your presentation. Thank you, Hans. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Hans, uh, for coming here to share your work with us. Um, uh, that bio that Karina just shared with us is very fascinating. Um, so we just want to ask you a few questions about yourself, just to get to know you a little bit better. So I will start off, and you know, Jamie can continue. Um, so yeah, I just want to know, well, how did you get interested in science? Um, what what was it that got you, you know, into the idea of being a scientist and doing research? research. research? Um, Was it a person? Was it a situation? Was it something you learned at some point? Um, And also, how did you come to, you know, study what you're doing right now?
5: Yeah, so uh, thank you for the introduction. Um, Yeah, I think it was quite a gradual process. So I started out studying uh, medicine and in the Netherlands, it's free to do other courses if you like. So after two years, I missed a bit physics and math. So I thought, let's follow a few courses. And this escalated to the whole study because I just thought it was really interesting. And then at some point I did my master project in the group of, uh, Ronald Hanson, that's also my current supervisor. And there I was just really fascinated in the lab, uh, being able to see all these really exotic effects like entanglement and, uh, superposition of quantum systems, all these things that only work out in math. You have the feeling, and that's really a different world, but if you're then able to see that in the lab, I thought it was really fascinating. Um, and this kind of uh, slowly lured me into uh, into doing uh, more science, and at some point I decided to do my PhD. Uh, then
0: that's absolutely fascinating. And yeah, uh, maybe show... maybe
5: I can add a, add one thing that really I think was a <laughs> a moment. Right? You no, asked for a no, moment. No, go ahead. Uh, I think what was really interesting to me was. At some point we were trying to do uh, a qubit rotation in the lab so then you try to change the quantum state and we were not not succeeding at some point the postdoc said that it might be a leaking laser and what turned out we were measuring all the time our quantum system and in that for that reason it was not able to evolve so we were kind of it's called the quantum Zeno effect uh and um, and I thought it was so fascinating that you could see this effect that there was some la- uh, leaking uh, leaking laser light that there was a that there was a quantum system not able to evolve because it was being measured and I thought that was yeah that was kind of these moments that you think oh this is really cool this is where I want to spend more time on
0: <laughs> that's really interesting and also to. Back up, sister Raheem. There, you make my life so, so so boring. Hands that that's such an incredible bio that you've got. That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, and is is this what led you up to looking at um qubit teleportation specifically? What is it that gave you? That was it. Was this you trying to solve a problem, or was this you wondering could this be done?
5: No, so I think um I think we're in a quite a specific part of science where. Uh, where it also sometimes the previous thing leads to the to the next thing. So, the the group was founded in two thousand eight, and at that moment people were working on trying to measure these NV centers and experimenting whether you could measure a single one, and then slowly this build up to two thousand and twelve, making entanglement two thousand and fifteen, the loophole free Bell test, where you can prove that quantum physics is like a real thing and that it is really a fundamental part of our. Uh, our uh, of physics Um, and so this was kind of the the next thing so we had uh, previous PhD students in our group had made entanglement between two distant NV centers and uh, had done some really cool experiments and this was kind of the the next kind of logical step so it is I think sometimes science is really driven from kind of having an, an open question and uh and really striving to get there and i think in our field it also sometimes is that you that you try to push as as hard as you can and see what comes out and i think this was kind of what happened here that each time uh you think you kind of are at the limit what is possible and then with some hard work you can get a step further and this is i think also what happened here so we had two node entanglement and then we build a three node network and then in the end we were able to teleport Uh, through this uh, in this network
0: that is definitely an incredible way to build us up to the talk thank you so much for answering our questions Um, and um, unless you have anything else um... no no I'm good thank you so much okay awesome and in that case then doctor the floor is yours we are all yours Thank you. Great. Oh, and uh, one one more thing. One more thing. Would you be happy to receive questions like during the presentation, or would you prefer we waited till the end? Because this is no meant during to be the, for your mind.
5: During the presentation is great. Yeah. All um, right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Then.
0: Um, then the floor is yours. Thank, thank you. Thank you.
5: So, so I try to make some presentation which is uh, accessible for a broader audience. So hopefully, in the questions, we can. Uh, uh, fill up the gaps that I maybe left if I didn't start from uh, uh, from the basics enough, or maybe go a bit more in depth if you have uh, uh, more in-depth questions. Uh, but I would like to kind of give an outline of what we what we did. So um, okay, I, so um, if you go if we start from the first slide, you can you can see uh, some artist impression of one of my fellow PhD students. Um, making, uh, how this, uh, our three node network looks in the lab. So, um, uh, you can see, um, we have two optical tables, um, and, um, they ho- they host our three quantum nodes. So you have one, uh, uh, in one separate room and two are on the same table. And it is are like really separated by meters. So such a table is a couple of meters long and, uh. And you can really see it is it is not on like some microscopic scale that we made this entanglement but really on the meter uh, the meter scale um, yeah and so in the second slide you see some uh, some artist impression of a quantum internet and maybe this is a really important starting point to elaborate a bit on so um in in quantum technology i think there are there are three main routes. So the most known is, I think, quantum computing. So what all these three, uh, so the, the, the three ones are quantum computing, quantum internet, and quantum sensing. And um, and what they all have in common is that we're slowly able to really manipulate the physics on the smallest scale that is uh, possible. So really on on single atom, single electron scale. Um, and... We're trying to build new technologies from this. And if you use this, this uh, control over the smallest scales to build a computer, it is a quantum computer. If you try to build a network for communication out of it, there's a quantum internet. And if you use these smallest particles to measure and to uh, get measurements, then it is quantum sensing. And um, And I think quantum computing is the most known, maybe after this quantum networks. And lastly, this quantum sensing, but I think maybe in, uh, uh, maybe quantum sensing is, uh, is the most mature one, right? Quantum sensing also, for example, example, the atomic clock is in principle, a quantum sensor. It is some atom that spins around this axis and we measure how fast it spins and we base our time, uh, uh time measures on this. So. Um so quantum internet fits into this field of quantum technology um as one of these three pillars, um, and at our institute at Qtech in Delft we uh, we investigate the quantum internet and the quantum computing and see how we can make this a reality to push it also to make it uh, really sophisticated in the lab, but also try to make demonstrators to get it out of the lab And the idea behind the quantum internet is to, have some quantum nodes uh, that can communicate with each other. So if you compare to um, to the classical internet, the classical internet consists of uh of different computers, but what makes it the internet, an internet is that it is a network, right? So if you want to connect or send an email for example to me, we don't need to share a direct connection, but there is a network that takes care of routing your uh, message uh, to to me. And the same idea holds for the quantum internet. So uh, we envision these multiple nodes that are all linked together and that can route this sending of information. And the difference then between a quantum internet and the the classical or the normal internet then is that it can't just send uh, like normal information bits uh, as the classical internet would do, but it can send these quantum bits, these qubits, And the difference between those is that the the classical bits can be a zero or a one, Um, but in quantum bits, we use this, these states, the state zero and the state one. And so it can also be in a superposition. So being a combination of these two or be entangled with each other. So kind of, uh, we can use this full potential uh, of having this qubit as uh, as a building block of uh, information. And a logical new question would be, okay, if you have such a quantum internet, uh, what could you do with it? And also there, I think, are three options. First one is privacy. Um, This is, I think, also the most mature idea where you can use a quantum internet to have unbreakable uh, communication. Um, So we currently use like hard math puzzles to encrypt our data. but uh, using a quantum internet or a quantum link, uh, to send our, uh, data can do this inherently seek, uh, in a secret secret way. You can also think of blind quantum computation, where you do computations on a server where the server doesn't know what it is calculating. Um, so this is kind of the privacy part. Uh, then you also have the part where it is really linking quantum computers together. So, uh, as you might know. It is really hard to build a quantum computer, and this is uh, for, um, for an important reason that is just really hard to make uh, good qubits, but especially good qubits on a big scale, so it's much easier to make a single qubit that can do really well. But to make millions of them and put them all on a single chip that all perform really well is really hard. So the idea is also that you, maybe if you have a quantum network, you can link multiple quantum computers together. This is another way to scale up and to make uh, quantum computers bigger. Um, and lastly, I think, and for me, this is maybe the most interesting, uh, uh, application is, uh, to, uh, use it as a scientific tool. So. Um, for example, uh, there are ideas how you can use such a quantum internet to connect uh, different atomic clocks and thereby increase the precision by which they're synchronized. And if you increase the synchronization, you can, for example, increase the accuracy of uh, GPS signals. Uh, but also, for example, if you want to know where gravitational waves came from, it's really important that you have... Uh, synchronization of, uh, of clocks over bigger distances to connect different detectors of gravitational waves, and um, and if you have really good uh, timekeeping, then you can uh, more uh, more reliable uh, reliably uh, say where these uh, waves came from. So I think this is a really cool concept, and for example, there's also uh, an idea how you can use a quantum internet to uh, uh, increase the baselines of optical telescopes uh, and be able to increase the resolution of your uh, telescopes on earth so i think this is these are really cool ideas where where uh, you use such a quantum internet as a scientific tool to investigate new uh, new science um, especially because all the concepts we are using are built on such uh, such a lot of uh, fundamental uh, other research so these are are the three kind of uh, reasons why uh, why you would like to have a quantum internet and i think there might also be quite a few unknown applications that nobody has thought of yet Uh, at least that's what uh, i hope of course so um, if we then kind of uh, go to the next slide, uh, then you can see uh, a bit scaled down uh, version from this uh, artist impression. This is our artist impression of our uh, our own uh, network. So uh, of course, to uh, industry standards, we called our nodes Alice, Bob, and Charlie. Um, and what you can see is that Alice and Bob are connected by a fiber, and Bob and Charlie are connected by a fiber. Is this yellow line? Um, And those can be used to make these these quantum links. And these quantum links are something which is uh, entanglement. And this is depicted by this uh, wiggly blue line. Um, And entanglement is something where uh, you really share, um, uh, where two particles really share some common information or common behavior. Um, so, and you can use this quantum entanglement to, uh, to send information. So we'll go a bit through how this works. Not all the math, because I think it can get really mathy. but the idea how you would sh- use, use such a quantum link, uh, to send information. But I think for uh, people that are not so familiar with the concept of entanglement, I always like to think of entanglement, like if you if you both have a coin and this coin is a quantum coin so uh you can spin it and it falls either on heads and tails right if you do a measurement in quantum it can be in a superposition before but once it falls down uh, once you measure it you it has to choose so if we share a quantum coin and and we both throw our quantum coin up uh, then it always falls on the same side Uh, and i think this is an important Kind of you can have your own picture and i think all all kind of analogies break down at some point but i really like the the quantum coin one because it i think gives some insights on how such a thing kind of works so there's kind of a uh, one coin can't influence the other coin right if you have a entangled pair of coins and you have them both spinning you can't decide whether they're gonna fall on heads or tails but only once you look at the correlations between the two, you see that they always fall on the same side. So there's kind of, you can't influence uh, one coin by the other, um, but you will see that they always do the same thing. And this is an important uh, part. So, so there's nothing that kind of breaks causality. Um, you can't uh, transmit information faster than light because you can't use this entanglement to, uh, to directly send information from one point to the other, but you can use these correlations between two, uh, distant points to, uh, uh, to send information. Okay. Uh, yeah. So if somebody has a question, uh, let me know, uh, I'm keeping an eye on the chat, I, but, uh, I, I have a quick question. If that's okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, sure
0: as um I'm trying to get my head around what you're saying how um you can't affect like if two coins flipping that they are connected um you can't make them do anything but you can work on the prediction that the they are working together in some way uh, is, is that right
5: um, yeah maybe so maybe if uh <laughs> if we make it more concrete so say, we share a coin, right? Uh, We share an entangled pair of coins. So we both have them spinning right now. And uh, I try try to make sure whether I want an Americano or an espresso to you, right? There is no way for me to kind of flip my coin in a way or do something to my coin that I can transmit information to you directly. Right? The only thing I can do is Mm -hmm. to measure my coin. So to kind of smash it on the table. And if I see heads, I know you also see heads, but for you heads has no meaning yet. Only once I kind of sent you a message and say, okay, uh, if you see heads, it means I want a, an espresso. You know that you have to order an espresso. So kind of, I knew you would see heads, but that was only a chance or, or a, um, a statistical game. Um Only once I measured it, I knew what you would see, but there is no information transmission because you can't interpret it yet. Only once I sent you kind of a decoding message, you can have uh, access to this information. And this is, I think what is really important to understand of about all this quantum communication. This is really what is saving kind of the, uh, uh, the not transmitting information faster than light principle. If if it was possible to extract information, then you could travel back in time, and kind of whole of uh, relativity would break down. Uh, but that's not the case. Is it maybe clearer, Jamie? Um, uh, the thing, the one thing I don't want
0: to hold back anything, um, oh, sure. or am not understanding this? But w- one thing I'm I'm not really getting is um. So if I if you're flipping the coin and you know why you're flipping the coin, and that was for the express or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, you then know that as I'm flipping a coin, I'm receiving heads just like you. Um, the only way that has any meaning is if I get some kind of metadata packet explaining what the heads, what the, the meaning of the, the heads is. Mm-hmm. Um, what would the point in flipping the coin be then? Because isn't the internet just simply sending this data already? So, uh, so I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm, because, my,
5: because kind of, you can see this flipping the coin as the, as the uh, the key the 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 encryption key right so nobody else will know whether you ordered an espresso or a, uh, what was it uh, an americano for me because they didn't they don't have access to our chance process our entanglement only you and I know that we flipped heads but that's that's a chance process of 50% and so if we extract this a bit and you do this uh, really more rigorous, met with many more co- uh, with many more attempts, then at some point you can generate like um, a thousand or two thousand bit uh, uh, key string and you can completely encrypt your information without somebody being able to extract the, the key.
0: Oh, okay. This is becoming a bit clearer to me now. Um, yeah, because um, if, if you're only in control of the, uh, if we're both flipping together, and you're, you're then telling me what significance it is to your coin to my coin, but it's coming directly to me, then there's no way that could be intercepted or decoded
5: or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Something. Yeah, yeah.
0: right. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for answering, yeah. answering my question.
5: So this is, I think, an important concept. And this is when you're using quantum networks, uh, to, uh, uh, to for quantum encryption um but we can maybe later look in how you can also use it to send information and that's that's where the whole teleportation comes in so uh on slide three uh, we have our quantum network we have three nodes uh three of these quantum nodes um and i think it's nice to point out that this is like the first time uh in the world that a, that a three node network was built so before uh many people have built or many quite a few people have built like a two node connection, but scaling up to three is quite a bit more complicated because uh, your, the rate of your experiment and the fidelity or the quality of your experiment needs to be above a certain threshold to be able to scale up from two to three nodes. So uh, in the picture, you can see that we have kind of these purple uh, point, uh, purple arrows, and these are the, these are spins. So Um, we encode our information in the spin of particles. Uh, And the spin uh, is a quantum uh, mechanical phenomena, but uh, to make it a bit more classical, you can think of, is it spinning to the left or the right? Uh, Or you can think of like a little magnet. I think that's maybe the most intuitive. Uh, And the magnet is pointing up or down, or maybe to the side, and then it is in a superposition. And it's partially pointing up and partially pointing down. So all the uh, purple uh, purple arrows are our communication qubits. We use them to make entanglement and to communicate between the nodes. And then we also have um, a yellow uh, qubit. This is our memory qubit. uh, And we can store quantum information in there. And then we have these optical fibers, these yellow lines to make entanglement. um, And the blue lines are kind of an uh, artist impression of uh, of the entanglement that can happen between the nodes um, so i'll go a bit deeper in how how we make these uh, things so if you go to slide four uh, you can see how our communication qubit looks like um, so as i said before if you want to store quantum information just like if you want to store a classical information you need some encoding scheme and Uh, for a classical uh, bit this might be for example the the orientation of a current in a circuit or the presence of a charge being somewhere or not or a light being on or not and for our quantum system we use the orientation of the spin of our uh, qubit Uh, so on the right you can see uh, again uh, this purple uh, this purple arrow which is the spin of an electron uh, but we need to trap the electron somewhere and we do this in diamonds so uh, diamonds are a lattice of carbon atoms and this is depicted with these uh, black dots Um, and if there is like a a defect a, a defect in the the lattice an electron can get trapped in there and we specifically make use of the nitrogen vacancy center so there are two kind of missing carbon atoms. One is completely missing and the other is replaced by a nitrogen atom. Uh, that's the green, uh, the green ball in the picture. Um, and, this, uh, and this electron has a spin uh, trapped in this hole and this spin we use as, uh, as our communication qubit. And then I think at least for me, when I started my master project, the first I, the question would be, how do you read out quantum state of such a system right how can you determine whether the spin was up or down and we do this by using lasers because these defects are called color centers and that is because they were kind of discovered to color uh, these uh, these materials so for example if you have a diamond full of nitrogen vacancy centers it will be a red diamond because kind of the the uh, the NV center can emit red light and absorb red light. Um, and uh, we use this to read out the spin state because uh, people found out that if it's pointing in the up direction, it absorbs and emits a slightly different color of red than if it's in the down state. So, what you can do, which trick you can do, is if you shine in a laser that's, for example, um, resonant, so which can excite the zero state uh, you excited to the excited state just like you can think of how an atom could be excited to an excited state um, and uh, if the light falls down then you can detect this light right so what we do if we want to know the state of our nv center we shine in a, a red laser that's exactly on resonance with this transition of the zero state to the excited state. And if we see light coming back, that means that our NV center is in the zero state. If it stays dark, we know the NV center was not on resonant with the laser, and so it should be in the one state. And in this way, we can detect our, um, our uh, the qubit state. And we can use another color of red to initialize our state uh, in the zero state, and we can use microwave pulses to uh, change between zero and one. So if we put a pulse of microwave uh, frequency or um, uh, microwave um, of microwaves next to the, the MV center, it can change from zero to one and from one to zero, or we can put it in a superposition. So partially one, partially zero. Um, and on the right side, on the bottom, you can see two pictures. The, le- the, the, the gray one is one of uh, the diamond, and you can see this kind of this semi dome. This is to, this we call a solid emerging lens, and this is to enhance the uh, collection of the light coming from the NV center. Because this NV center is super tiny, small. You want to collect all the light there is and these lighter lines are gates and a strip line for uh, changing the electric field and for applying microwaves to it and the bottom right picture the bluish picture is a kind of a microscope picture of this uh, of this device uh, you can see uh, if you look good you can see the dome and you can see this bright spot in the middle and that's our mv center so this is a single electron that you're looking at, right? This is exactly the picture that is above. There's only one single electron that's emitting this light and we can see this electron uh, being there in the middle of our solid emergence. So what you can see here is we have a method to read out our electron. We have a method to reset our electron um, also by laser light and we have a method to control our qubit. Right between zero and one using microwaves, and there's a last thing you can do if you put your electron in a superposition, so 50% zero, 50% one, um, of and you then apply a short readout pulse, you will get light back if you're in the zero state, but you won't get light out if you're in the one state. So what happens then is that um, there will be a photon emitted, but depending on the spin state, right? It will. There is a fifty percent chance that you were in the z- in the zero state and you emitted a photon, or there's a fifty percent chance that you are in the one state and you didn't emit a photon. And this is exactly what entanglement is, right? So we have now, uh, if we do this. Uh, uh, if we do this uh, experiment, so we put our MV center in a superposition of zero and one, we apply a short readout pulse, we can entangle the spin state of our MV center with a photon. And the photon is then encoded in uh, partially being there and partially not being there. So either zero and there was a photon, or a one and there was no photon. And that's our entanglement, and we call this spin photon entanglement. And this spin photon entanglement is used to kind of uh, connect different centers together. I will come there, uh, come how we do there in two slides. So, um, quick yeah, sure.
2: Uh, if you can control the qubit, then you are essentially sending information, right? Um, no. Uh, so, how do you mean that? Well, if you can control a qubit on one end and make it up or down uh then you can read it on the other side uh so that is sending information
5: is it not no because they, uh, it's it's always really tricky if if you have the feeling there's information to be sent then there is some trick or some <laughs> something tricking you so what it is here say we share information us uh, sh- uh, if we go back to this coin example um if you uh, if we have an entangled pair of coins, and um, and for example, what I can do with this microwave pulse is that that I can say, okay, if I was in zero, I I will be in one, and if I am in one, I will be in zero. But that's that's the same as flipping your coin, right? You will change heads to tails and tails to heads. But if we have an entangled pair, and in in quantum world, we are able to apply this operation to a spinning coin. So I say, okay, I change my coin, I flip it one extra time. Then if we, uh, if we slam our coins on the table and I see tails, I know you will be ha- have heads because I flip my coin uh, 180 degrees, but still there's no information sent because I only changed the statistics. I changed kind of how we correlate before we correlated that we always had the same thing. And after this. I changed it to always anti-correlate. But still, I, I can't send information to you. Is this, is, does this make sense? Uh, <laughs> uh,
2: well, I don't know. I think you, when you use the word control, like you can control it. I thought the qubits um, matched, um, but I guess
5: not. Um, yeah, so so I, I can control it? But once it's entangled, I can't initialize it again because if I initialize it, I, re, uh, I uh, remove the entanglement. So if our coins are spinning and I kind of reset my own coin, then uh, then it won't change the state of yours. It just uh, I just reset my coin, right? So I'm not able to prepare it while it's while the entanglement is uh, is still there.
2: Okay, and then you and then what do you do? You have to re-entangle somehow.
5: Exactly. So, what if we want to make entanglement? Maybe I can come back to your question um, if I explain how we make entanglement between two nodes, because then I think it makes more sense. Okay, yeah. thank you. Okay, so we now have our uh, communication qubit. Um, And uh, by the way, I I really like these questions in between, because I think it is such an abstract (laughs) concept, all these kind of quantum effects and entanglement that I think it's really helpful to have some, uh, some questions in in between. Um, So we now have our communication qubit, but we also still need uh, some way to store our information. And how we do this is we make use of uh, something, which is just around. So if you go to slide five, Um, You can see that, again, I depicted this nitrogen vacancy center. But now there are also these yellow arrows around. And what these yellow arrows are is carbon-13. So normally carbon is carbon-12, the isotope carbon-12. But it can have an extra neutron. And then it's carbon-13. And carbon-13 has a nuclear spin, whereas carbon-12 has no nuclear spin. And 1% of these carbons are carbon-13. So you have kind of this whole lattice. And just uh, once in a while, there is a carbon-13 in this lattice. And what is interesting is there is kind of a connection or an interaction between this carbon-13 and the electron spin, which is called uh, the dipolar interaction between two spins. You can see it, if you think about these spins as small magnets, Uh, if you hold two magnets close to each other, you feel that they are interacting. Uh, And the same thing happens uh, between our electron spin and the nuclear spin. And what we can do now is that we can use this electron spin if we flip it in the right uh, kind of uh, order and we do it at the right frequency, we can change the state of our uh, nuclear spin. And so we can use our nuclear spin to store the quantum information we had on the electron spin. So for example, if we have entanglement on the electron spin, we can move it to the carbon spin uh, and in this way free up our electron spin again. And colleagues of us have shown that you can do this for eight of these nuclear spins uh, or nine, uh, including the green one. Um, And thereby, so it is not that you have just one of these memory qubits around but you have many more of them Uh, so it is quite interesting i think that that nature just happens to have one percent carbon 13 and this is just there in the lattice and normally it's a bit annoying because all these little magnets are uh are influencing our system Uh, but you can also use them and i think for us for our experiments these memory qubits are really important so that you also have a way to store quantum information for longer Okay. Now we come, I think, to the meat of the whole story. This is namely, how do you make entanglement? So, um, we can forget about the memory qubits for a second and f- just focus on these communication qubits. So if you go to slide six, um, you can see, um, how we make entanglement. So what we do is we prepare both. Uh, so we take two. Completely separate setups with their own diamonds and their own NV centers. We prepare both NV centers in a superposition, and then we send to both NV centers a short readout pulse. Uh, and this readout pulse entangles then the electron spin with the um, uh, with the photon. So again, what we discussed with a uh, communication qubit: if the electron spin is up then uh, the um, uh, then there is a photon so sorry if the electron spin is in state zero then there is a photon and if the electron spin is in one then there is no photon and this is kind of indicated with this wiggly line which is a photon so a particle of light partially being there partially not being there Uh, and this happens on two setups and so far we just have two times entanglement between a spin and a photon and a spin and a photon. But then we apply a trick. We have a partially transmitted, uh, transmitting mirror in uh, in between. So this mirror is 50% reflective. So if you shine light on it, half of the light will go through and half of the light is reflected. And if we then let these photons exactly hit at the same point, the mirror, and we put two detectors uh, after this mirror, if one of these mirrors, uh, sorry, if one of these detectors clicks or detects a photon, um, we know that one of the spins should be in the up state. And, um, and we just uh, detected one photon, so the other one should be in the down state. Um, and, um, and then you think, so what? But the interesting thing is, we don't know from which setup the photon came. Right. We just, because this partially reflecting mirror has made it in such a way that there's a 50% chance that it came from the left or 50% chance that it came from the right. And what now happens is we call that, that it removed the, which path information. So kind of, it's not known anymore, whether it came to the left and the right. And it's not just the case that it's not known anymore to us, but the kind of nature also forgot. And the only way to, to resolve this is to put the electrons in a superposition, right? And the superposition is then uh, uh, kind of the state of these two electrons that allow this, which is that one is in the up uh, in the zero state and one is in the one state or the, the other way around. So we have now kind of a situation where there's a 50% chance of having zero one uh, and a 50% of having one zero if we compare the two. Um, so it's kind of uh, analogous to having these coins which are spinning and you know that the moment you uh, slam them da- slam them down on the table they will always show the opposite heads or tails right so this is the way we create entanglement between two spins so we make first we put our electrons in a superposition then we make spin photon entanglement then we let these photons, which are partially there, partially not there, uh, fall on a partially reflecting mirror. And by detecting a photon, kind of nature forgot which setup emitted the photon. And by this, we entangle the electrons. So this is, I think, kind of the magic in our whole experiment, um, and kind of a tool we will use to uh, teleport the information later. So maybe if there are questions, I'm happy to, Try to make it clearer, but I'm not sure um, if there are.
0: Um, So my 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 question here is, I'm I'm thinking the key here is the quantum entanglement, which for me is um a bit sticky um in my head. Um, but so the the idea is then that you can uh, with the using the coins again, um, you make a quantum connection, a quantum entanglement between my coin and your coin, Mm -hmm. right? So that you can now. Um, predict that they are connected, and you can rely on that, right? Yeah. Um. And so then, because only my coin and your coin are quantumly entangled, and nobody else else's, that means what you were talking about before, with um, nobody else could intercept it or know what it meant or anything like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Does this then mean that um, that when you're using the quantum entanglement, you're essentially not relying on, on uh, it's, it's almost like a quantum network um not 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 the way the internet works but it's taken advantage of, uh, of of the very nature of quantum physics to actually um allow transmission of information is it something like that this is i'm sorry'm I'm, yeah. tr- I'm doing my best here but this is this is quite no it's <laughs> it's really
5: tricky right so what we what we want is to have this entanglement and um, what we could so this this entangled link what we can do with it is um we can send information i'll explain this in the next uh, slide but we can use such a link if you now think of this entanglement as being kind of a quantum link between these two points we can use this link later on to send for inf- quantum information from one side to the other right so indeed um this kind of is you can see this quantum entanglement in this in this slide six as a kind of a building block of a quantum network we we all the links in our network should be these entangled links these wiggly lines and we use kind of the photons and these partially transmitted mirror to make entanglement between two distant part uh, points so um, to to make entanglement you should have an interaction between kind of your uh, the two things you want to entangle so in principle we could also bring the the two spins really close to each other and then take them apart again but that's not that's not uh, uh, at this po- moment at least technical feasible and also for later applications right if you have your notes 100 kilometers away it is not practical to bring your notes together and then get them out again to use it for quantum communication so then we use these particles of light as kind of a messenger uh, qubit. Uh, they travel uh, the distance and they make sure that kind of uh, uh, the, the, the two uh, spins come together uh, and in this way can make entanglement. But so they don't come physically together, but the photon that they are entangled with uh, come together. Does it make a bit of question. sense?
3: Yeah, if I may also add and ask at the same time. So as far as I understood, additionally, what makes it safe is that as soon as somebody tries to interfere, uh, you would detect that right away because then, um, you know, you don't have the entanglement anymore, right? So as soon as somebody tries to intercept or spy on this information, then you would would immediately uh, record that right
5: yeah that's that's a good addition so if for example if somebody would kind of try to intercept one of these photons uh, that are traveling and try to read out that you're trying to make entanglement uh, you will never make perfect entanglement and you can just so it kind of interrupts this whole system Uh, the photons won't come in at the mirror at exactly the same time uh, they will you can see afterwards that it's not uh uh, that somebody was listening in so if you make in in uh, how kind of real world um quantum encryption protocols work is that you make entanglement like maybe a couple of thousand times and you Check once in a while whether you're really making entanglement. And you can just say, hey, what did you have? I had heads. Oh, I also had heads. Okay, apparently it works. And if you make the statistics well enough and you see that you always make entanglement, you know for sure that nobody can be tampering with your photons or you're trying to make entanglement. Uh, so if you see that you have entanglement, you know that nobody's trying to uh, uh, eavesdrop on you. But that's a good addition, indeed. Uh,
0: one other question I've, I've got at the moment, and I, and this is where I'm trying to get it set in my head, as um, I think I'm getting my head around what you're doing with the quantum entanglement, right? Um, when, you're, when you're quantumly entangling something, is that something that's like literally outside of any hardware that we're giving it? Or does, is this requiring the hardware? Like, are you entangling something um, and then if there's no like physical network anymore, no cables to connect data connecting, um is that quantum entanglement still there or is this is this like is there artificial network of cables and, and lights and everything like that maintaining this entanglement? I don't know if
5: that's even a stupid question. No, that's a really that's a really good question. So as you can see, you, you need these photons to arrive at the same point, right? So to make entanglement, you need optical fibers to connect your nodes, but once you have entanglement, uh, it stays there. Even if you would cut your cables and you could cut all the cables, the entanglement would still stay there. Um, so uh, the, the cables are there to make entanglement, but it's not necessary to keep the entanglement there. Uh, the only problem is that all quantum states are really fragile. and so we can maybe keep uh, uh we can keep our uh, electrons alive to maybe one 0.1 seconds or so uh if we really push we can get it maybe to a second but that's uh, kind of it so uh, uh you should cut them down really fast uh, and see whether you still have entanglement because kind of the entang- or the 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 quantum states are degrading, but that's not because of the fibers. The fibers could in principle be, uh, be gone. Um, but I think it's good to, to, uh, stress that this entanglement is not like a thing that will always be there in the same way as the, the coins that are spinning, once you kind of slam them on the table, you have used this round of entanglement and you need to make it again. So a bit in the same way as with the current internet, it's not as if, uh, once you send a single bit over the internet, you can send bits for, for the rest of your life, right? Each bit has to be sent again. And that's the same for entanglement. Each time you use this entanglement for either using it as a quantum link to send quantum information, or for example, to make a. A bit in your key for quantum cryptography. Um. You have to remake it. So, in this sense, you need the cables to stay there. But from a quantum mechanical perspective, you could remove the cables, and the the quantum entanglement could still be there. Interesting. Then, so so that's then saying that the
0: equipment is continually what why it's there. Then is to continually reinitialize the the connection between two nodes. That's essentially why it's there. But the 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 quantum entangled um, nodes themselves are what's transferring the information. um, Whereas the apparatus is only just reconnecting the quantum quantumly entangled like is is, is that right?
5: Yeah, exactly. And so so now our if we have two setups, kind of we can make uh, entanglement around uh, 10 times per second. So 10 Hertz, if you compare this to the like gigabit speeds of the current quantum net, uh, in, uh, or the qu- current internet, it's not fast, but you can, in the end, I, I, right. I think, uh, there are also already experiments where you have kilohertz entanglement generation. Um, so I would not be surprised if this just continues. I don't know kind of what is the upper limit, how fast you can make entanglement, but, um, um. Or how often you can make entanglement. But indeed, this is a really uh, thanks for the question. That was a really good uh, insight. Um, so maybe um, we can go to slide seven, uh, which is um, um, which is the experiment we performed. So what we did is we used all this trickery I've explained so far to send information over our quantum network. So uh, if you look in the slide, you you can see we have Alice, Bob, and Charlie. Depicted as three rows here, and the goal of our whole experiment is to send a qubit from Charlie to Alice, right? And um, and maybe we can think a bit on how this is done usual, uh, right? In a classical uh, network, uh, if you want to send information or a bit from one point to the other, what you do is um, you copy the bit and you send it a couple of times or you use uh, error correction or you use at least a way of copying your information and then sending it a couple of times if you want to be sure that it arrives at alice um and um because if you would send it once for example if you send it as a pulse through a coax cable or or a pulse light through a fiber There's a probability that it gets lost or that, um, you have noise and it gets misinterpreted. In the end, you want kind of to be sure that the right state arrived at the other side, but there is a problem if you want to use this exact same tactic to send quantum information because in quantum mechanics, there's a a so-called no cloning theorem, which, uh, says that, um, if you have a quantum state and you want to copy it, that's not possible. So there's no way to copy quantum information. Um, and that's important to realize here. So if Charlie wants to send the state to Alice, um, but just sends this, for example, encoded in a photon, maybe we now encode it in the polarization. So we say horizontal polarization is zero, vertical polarization is one, and we send our precious qubit through a a fiber, Uh, the fiber has losses, and it can be that our qubit just get lost uh, on the way. Uh, But there's no way to retrieve it, right? Because because of this no cloning theorem, qubits can't be copied. Um, So uh, then you just lost your quantum information. So we have to come up with a new trick, and this trick is called quantum teleportation so we can use an entangled link um, for example the one that we made in six to send uh, to send our qubit um, so um, um, wh- uh, what you then do is you um, for example in step uh, four you can see uh, I can I can talk you through the list maybe that's clearer, but what you do in quantum teleportation is you use this entangled link and then um, send the uh, qubit over this link um, to make sure that it arrives at the other end, right? So you can do quantum teleportation with 100% uh, success rate, whereas um, sending the qubit directly would uh, would never have a 100% success rate. So what we did in our experiment is we um, we made entanglement between Alice and Charlie. That's kind of the end goal and used this entanglement to send information between Charlie and Alice. However, the problem was that there's no uh, fiber between Alice and Charlie, right? This is kind of imitating a real world uh, situation kind of if we would have a quantum Internet you're not connected you don't have a direct link to everybody so you sometimes need to send information through somebody else and um, that in this case that is bob so what we did in our experiment we first made entanglement between alice and bob right this is step one so this is exactly what i just explained in uh, six Uh, we make entanglement between alice and bob what we then do is we store our quantum state on the on the nuclear spin so on this yellow spin that's step two this is called a swap so you swap your information to the memory what we did in this case is we kind of freed up our communication electron or our communication qubit to make another entanglement so what we then do is we made entanglement between bob and charlie And um, what you now can see is we have entanglement between Alice and Bob and Bob and Charlie. And what you can do now, and this is, I think, mind blowing, is you can teleport the memory, the state on the memory qubit of Bob to Charlie, right? So you can use the uh, entanglement between Bob and Charlie to send your qubit, your memory qubit of Bob to Charlie. And if you now look Right, if you, if you would kind of drag this line along along the like dashed uh, line, uh, you would see that the entanglement between Alice and Bob ends up from Alice to Charlie, right? In step five, you see there's entanglement between Alice and Charlie. So, so in step four, we teleport the entangled state of Bob to Charlie. And how we do this is we do a measurement on the two qubits of Bob. Um, we ask for example is one of you in the zero state it has to be a joint measurement so therefore also you see this eye looking at the two qubits and and we need to send this information over a classical uh, network so for example the internet to charlie because charlie ended up with a um, with a um, encoded version of the qubit so if you send Uh, if you send a qubit over, over an entangled link, it ends up encrypted at the other side, right? Otherwise, this is like all the things we've spoken so far, otherwise you would be able to send information faster than light. So you still have to send an, a a message with the measurement outcome from Bob to Charlie to kind of make sure that you, uh, can decrypt the, and uh, the teleported state. But if you now, so there are lots of details in, uh involved but if you now zoom out a bit and you just accept that an entangled link can be used to teleport a state then what happens in four is you have entanglement between Alice and Bob and between Bob and Charlie and you teleport so you move the state f- from the, the, the yellow qubit in Bob to Charlie and so you end up at step five where you have entanglement between Alice and Charlie so kind of i can understand that all these individual steps are really weird because it is quantum mechanics in the end but i think if you start to look at it from kind of a zoomed out perspective and accept that you can teleport information over an entangled link and that you can move this quantum uh, state from one place to the other uh, you can see that you end up at step five the trick we then did is we again stored the situation, uh, the the uh, the state in the memory qubit of Charlie, right? We again did a swap gate, but now on Charlie and we freed up the electron. So you can see that in uh, step six, we made entanglement between Alice and the memory of Charlie. And what we then did is we prepared the qubit we wanted to teleport on the electron And we send it to Alice. So we did this whole kind of the seven-step process to arrive at our goal of sending qubit from Charlie to Alice. That's kind of the teleportation. So that's that that explains all the the things in our experiment. So we have a three node network and we send information between the non-neighboring nodes in this network. Does somebody has some questions about it? I would be surprised if not. But uh... <laughs> at
0: at the moment, I'm just trying to take in everything. But if anybody else um has any questions, um feel free to um let us know. I
5: think we're good for uh for now, doctor. Please. Okay. Great. And then, um, and then the last thing, what, what we did is kind of the bit an insight, how you can measure this is. So we prepared our, uh, our qubit in, uh, six different directions in the Z direction, in the minus Z direction. So this is zero and one, but you can also do it. You can rotate your little spin in the X direction or the Y direction. And we saw, we looked at how well we can teleport these states. So that's what you see here. And the teleported state fidelity says, like, how much the state that arrived at Alice looked like the state that we tried to send. So this is around like 70%. Um, But there's an important thing here that there's a dashed line at two thirds and two thirds is kind of what you can still explain from classical physics. And this is kind of, uh, I can cheat my way uh, through two-thirds, but everything above two-thirds requires really teleportation of your state. Um, So what we were able to show is that uh, the average of uh, the quality of our teleportation was above the bound that can still be explained from classical physics and shows that we really showed uh, teleportation in our network and uh, not just some happy accident. right, so this is how we were sure that we are also really teleportating uh, teleporting uh, our state um, yeah so uh then uh, that leaves me with uh thanking uh, the group in uh in uh, figure nine i think uh we have a really nice group uh, in delft uh all working close on closely related uh subjects um, so yeah uh this was my presentation i'm uh, happy uh for another fifteen minutes or so, uh, answer any questions you have.
0: Well, thank you very much for your talk, um, uh, katerina And um, I actually have a, a a question just now, and I'm, I'm sorry. Like I said, you've given me a lot, and there's a lot to chew over here. But um, when you say teleportation, then, right, is what does what that? that mean exactly? Because that's like nothing's being transferred in a physical way. Is that like one thing being instantly received somewhere else with no intervening distance except for through the quantum quantum entanglement? Is,
5: is that right? Or I, I, I'm trying to understand the teleportation part. Yeah, so it. I think if you compare it to like Star Trek teleportation, um then the thing that's missing there is kind of indeed the the, the matter that's being transported um, because it's only information that's being transported here um and kind of the you always need to send some classical uh some classical uh message with your measurement outcomes uh to the end node in just the same way as we just discussed with you that uh you if, if I try to tell you whether I want the espresso or an Americano or whatever, I always still need to send you a message, how to interpret our correlations. And it's the same with this teleportation. Um, but still, I think so, so these are the two things that are different from kind of the sci-fi teleportation. Um, but I think there are two things that are interesting to notice here. So. For example, if you want to teleport an electron from one place to another, then you could say that we haven't transported the electron, but on the other hand, all electrons are exactly the same. There's no way to tell two electrons apart. So in principle, you could also argue that if you trans, uh, transmitted all the quantum information from one electron to the other, there's no way to tell if you would have these two electrons next to each other that you didn't move the electron. So I think that's kind of more f- philosophical uh, part of it, uh, but you're completely right. So the electron was never moved, but you really kind of only moved it, the information. And it was not instantaneous or at least not. You still needed to send this message. And again, that's really important, right? Because if you if you didn't have to send this, in, uh, this message uh, afterwards, that would mean you were able to send information faster than light and that would mean relativity would break down and you were able to uh, travel back in time so um i think kind of there's not so this is the closest thing to sci-fi teleportation we're ever gonna get i'm um, afraid or happy about. <laughs> at least for now That's,
1: that's
5: not...
0: That's that's absolutely uh, fascinating, and one of the things I was wondering, and uh, do you think that this could lead to some kind of thing where um you could we could have communication between people without having a massive network, global network around the world. Do you think we, like if I had a like a little, like a little, I don't know, like a little station in my living room that sort of like can entangle bits together could i then send you something um sort of wireless i suppose you the best word i can think of to say but there's no fundamental internet i'm, I'm not paying anything to to um an isp or anything like that i've just got this little machine it quantum entangles stuff to you and then i send the stuff to you um is, is that kind of thing ever going to be feasible or does, does the thing functionally not work that way
5: I, I think not because you need the infrastructure to send these photons around, right. So whether that's through a glass fiber or uh, via a telescope or uh, sorry, a satellite or right there's always you always need to send this quantum information, so these these uh, photons to make entanglement. Um, and only once that's made, you can use this entanglement but 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 you always will need to send around these photons for for the creation of the entanglement
0: okay so the photons then entangling them together is what what allows this to actually happen so that means then could could we then have an internet then that has no real limit to its uh, speed then like downloading anything from a sound file to like a gigabytes of of information could all happen
5: like almost instantly and so i would be really surprised if a quantum internet would be faster than a classical internet it's more that you enhance the capabilities but but if it comes down to like just raw speed i would be really surprised if uh if a quantum internet would be faster than a than a classical internet because you need to make take care of so many more things and it's so much more complicated that I think in raw speed, a classical internet will be faster. So uh, how, how we as a community, I think, envision a quantum internet is not a replacement of the current internet, but more kind of an addition to it, right? So for a quantum internet to work, you also need to be able to send classical information for all these encoding, uh, communication, um, and there are just also things that are just uh, uh, n- not really quantum information or that are not uh, needed of this encryption. So um, I think ha- how you should envision it is having two separate or two parallel systems that are closely linked, but one won't replace the other.
3: Yeah, thank you so thank much. You, thank um, you. Thank you and i would like to give ali and dr shah and gilbert um opportunity to ask a question if that's okay with you hans if you still have a few minutes perfect thank you so much so yeah dr shah and then ali please go ahead
4: thank you so much Hans. that was a fascinating i mean presentation my question from you is about putting the system on a ground energy or close to the ground energy. Do you have any explanation around that? Because we know that it's going to give us the final state uh, for the entire system when we just put the system uh, close to the ground energy. I was just wondering, based upon your information, do you have any further information around that?
5: Sure. So you mean what our what the ground state of our quantum system is no and how we get there
4: if you want to yes you explain about all of those i mean features and i was just wondering when we put the system in a ground energy what's going to happen to the i mean qubits and the information and data
5: So, so sorry so um, I'm trying to understand what you mean with the ground, uh, the ground state you mean in the...
4: Tanglement. In the low can, state of the... Yes, you can just talk about the tanglement and uh, how it, it might be different because, I mean, there is some description about the different feature of the... I mean, because we are talking about the quantum computers, right? And about the tanglement. When some of the scientists put that close to the ground state there's some changes happen and i was just wondering maybe you have further information that you can share with us
5: yeah so i think um there's not so much what changes because so our system is really well isolated um, so it even kind of uh, you the, the entanglement doesn't work really at room uh, temperature but and um, you can uh, at room temperature, this kind of qubit still works, but you just can't make the spin photon entanglement, but the, the qubit is still working. So this, this means that our system is really well isolated from the environment and that it is always re-staying really in the ground state of, of the energy structure. Um, and making this entanglement, I think doesn't really change the, the dynamics of the system. Uh, in this way uh, it's still uh, yeah it's still mostly influenced by the the effect of single single uh, uh, notes in this way. I'm not sure whether uh, I'm answering your question but
4: um... yeah yeah I mean if we want to just open the I mean section is gonna uh, be long so thank you so much for your answer Yeah.
3: Ali,
6: I want to go mm-hmm. ahead and ask you a question. Um, sure. Um, um, uh, uh, Hans, thanks a lot for your amazing talk. When you were talking about Alice, Charlie, I recalled your paper, uh, your Nature paper. I read uh, um, uh, before. Um, I have a couple of questions. The first one is about the dimensionality effect. If we, uh, if you're going to move from two to n. Uh, and in n dimensions, uh, do you think we can, uh, est- we still can uh, form a coherent superposition um, to maintain the uh, teleportation intact? Or what I- do you think about it?
5: Yeah, thank you. That's a good question. So, um, um, I think the concept, what is important here is... For how well you are uh, in a, uh, able to store your state compared to the speed at which you can make entanglement. So maybe if we go back to the, the analogy with the coins, right? If Alice and Bob were able to make entanglement, so they have these spinning coins, then they swap to make Bob and Charlie making entanglement, right? But the problem is you slowly have decoherence in your system. So slowly kind of how you can maybe think of this is that your coins are slowly start to wobble and slowly already out of themselves start to fall down on the table. So kind of your entanglement is degrading and you have to make entanglement between Bob and Charlie fast enough before the entanglement between Alice and Bob is degraded too much or it's gone. So what we do in our experiment uh, is we make entanglement between Alice and Bob. And we then try a thousand times between Bob and Charlie to make entanglement. If we don't succeed within these thousand times, uh, we start all over again. We start again with a f- trying to make fresh entanglement between Alice and Bob. And then again, we try to make within a thousand times entanglement between Bob and Charlie. If we fail again, we stop the experiment, we go back and we make fresh entanglement between Alice and Bob. And we repeat this so often. So, on average, um. We kind of can make entanglement once every fifty thousand times, so uh, so it takes a while. But at some point, we'll ma- we'll just be lucky and make entanglement between Bob and Charlie uh, within these thousand attempts. and then we can continue with our whole experiment. But there's some so there's some statistical game uh, in this, and the problem with scaling up, at least with the parameters we have currently in our system, is that if you have many more of these things that just ha- need to happen at the same time, then it just becomes really unlikely that they all happen at the same time. So with our current system, kind of three is the the most we can scale up, but if you can make entanglement faster or you can store it better, then uh, you can scale up to four or five, six nodes. Um, and, and, but, but to go really to like, tens of nodes, uh, just the performance of the individual nodes need to improve a lot to kind of don't get hit by the statistical game so much. Is this explaining your um, question? Yeah,
6: yeah. Thanks for your uh, great answer. <laughs> I know it's one of the um, biggest challenges in the field. Um, and yeah. uh, my second question is also uh, one of the challenging, um, you know, issues uh, we uh, we are facing. So uh, what do you think about uh, about overcoming the issues uh, like coming from the uh, propagation loss of the lo- of light uh, and also atomic uh, coherence lifetime you know these issues uh, uh, can uh, can be raised from the classic protocol and just I would like to know your idea or your solution uh, in, in this area as well
5: Yeah so I think for the NV center at least kind of the coherence times are maybe um uh, are uh, milliseconds so i think that's not really the problem um, because in this time uh, you can that's easily long enough to kind of store states while your photons are traveling and uh, say that you have entanglement so i think for the nv center at least the coherence times of the spins are not a problem uh, the losses are really big problem (laughs) um so we're now a couple of meters apart so most of our losses come from the inefficiency in collecting the light with the microscope objective uh, and some internal efficiencies of the NV center but if you go over larger larger distances uh, the losses are insane in uh, for red light so we have also a sub project in our group working on uh, making entanglement over tens of kilometers between two cities in the Netherlands using this system. But what they do is they use a trick. They uh, transfer the photons from red to the telecom band. So to, from 637 nanometers to 1550 nanometers. And what you do by this is you increase a bit of the, the losses because this, uh, this conversion process is m- maybe only 15% uh, efficient. But then, once you send them through a fiber, uh, the losses are so much less because uh, uh, this is really the part where the losses are lowest for transmitting them to fiber. So, kind of there is a trick to this that if you're not using telecom light, you can use uh, non-linear optics to get your photons into the telecom band and then send them through a fiber. Uh, however, for NV centers is still slow, but that's there, there are other systems coming, right, that have higher uh, uh, that are brighter and send out more light. Yeah. So then we can speed up. Um, but yeah, this, this is, I think, uh, this will be one of the biggest uh, challenges in the field of quantum networks to overcome all these losses, and still make your system fast enough to operate.
6: Okay, Thanks for your answer, and um, it was a great pleasure, um, you know, to hear you. And thanks again. Thank you.
3: Yeah, I have a quick question. So, could you maybe have two different lights um, send um, always out to different lights? One that comes faster, but maybe loses a lot, on, you know, loses a lot on the way. But then you have the slow one coming in next to kind of confirm the information process. Or would it be too expensive and too extensive to have basically two light signals? One dirty one that comes first and then the accurate one that comes like, you know, I don't know, a few milliseconds after.
5: Yeah, thank you. So, um, so I think the speed of the light is not a problem because they all travel at the speed of light and maybe that's two thirds of the speed of light in the fiber. Um, but it's more the losses on the way. So. Um, for red, it's six DB per kilometer. That means, uh, so maybe kilometer is not the best, uh, <laughs> intuitive measure for you, but it means like 250 meters. Half of your light is gone. Whereas for, uh, for telecom light this is 0.2 DB. So that means that you need 15 kilometers, uh, to lose half of your light. Um, so that's a factor of 60 difference in the amount of losses you have. So it's not so much the speed at which light is traveling, but more the losses you have on the way and how likely it is that you lose your light.
3: Yeah. Okay. I understand. Uh, so, so could you spend, would it be too expensive to, um, send a lot and then calculate the overlap probability basically, um, so. You know it doesn't matter if you lost but if you send a hundred times the same thing or probably i don't know a thousand. no times so,
5: so you can at, at each try you can only send a single photon because if you would send two photons and you would lose one that means that that kind of nature measured your entanglement and then your entanglement is gone so right so um if you, you you can't have a lot of light traveling. There's always only a single photon traveling through the fiber at a single moment. So, uh, you can't, you can't increase it because, uh, of the no cloning theorem, there's no way to copy your signal more often. So this is a trick that you can use for classical networks, but that doesn't work for quantum networks. So the only trick you can do for quantum networks is try faster in repetition rate so you try if it gets lost you try again if it gets lost you try again uh, but there's no way you can boost your signal for a single try
3: okay i see and then there was a question that chat i know we kind of partially answered it already like if teleportation one day would work for our bodies and we kind of you kind of said no but could we if let's say we have infinite amount of data we can send could we send the metadata of our bodies basically so
5: so i think there's no (laughs) so kind of uh that's that's really a a more i think a a philosophical question but i think in principle at least how we understand nature right now um kind of in the end everything boils down to being quantum information so Probably it's possible, but I think I would not be surprised if the in the end the teleportation is not a problem, but that it is more having an efficient readout and rebuilder of your body, right? Because then what you need to do is to scan your whole body without losing the quantum information while doing that, uh, breaking down your whole body, and then sending this. I think. If we're able to do the first step, then I think sending all the quantum information will be the easy part. So kind of the teleportation part will be easier than reading out all the quantum information of your body. And then I think maybe even more tricky will be to rebuild your whole body while preserving, uh, while putting all this quantum information in. So kind of the reader and writer part of the problem including all the 3d printing that needs to happen on the other side i think are more challenging than the teleportation part
3: yeah i imagine I imagining the 3d printer and the yeah okay <laughs> thank you <so> much. <laughs> maybe we should try with with i don't know some ants first and some mosquitoes yeah that
5: sounds <laughs> sounds like a better uh, better starting point but still probably extremely challenging.
3: It would be fun though, to send all the mosquitoes to Mars. So they have the mosquito <laughs> problem there, all that money and still mosquitoes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, does anyone still have a question? Because we are already, you know, one hour and a half. So maybe like uh, two more minutes, Hans, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. And then- we'll- Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, can I ask oh, also
6: okay. one more question?
3: Sure. Yeah, and Jake, Mike. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, Jake, and then and then Ali. Sorry, Ali.
2: Yeah, my question is, uh, if you could have uh, multiple photons that were entangled um, and uh, send those through the fiber, would that in- is that possible? And would that increase your rate of
5: entanglement? Yeah. So it's it sounds like a solution, but it actually makes it worse. Um, because the problem is that, so okay, say you have kind of the, the, the easiest case. We have a, uh, we will make then uh, two photons entangled with one MV center. So that means that if we're in the zero state of the MV center, we both photons are there. And if the MV is in the one state, both photons are not there, right? So this is, uh, but the problem is if you lose one of these photons, Um, losing it means that that there was kind of a measurement process right because somewhere in the fiber it got absorbed and this absorption is a measurement so it's kind of slamming down the coins on the table and the problem is that if you lose one of these two photons it also measures out the spin and your other photon so for example if you absorb the other photon that means it was there that means that the other photon is now with a hundred percent probability also there, and your spin is gonna be in the one uh, in the zero state. So instead of transmitting this information, you measured your system, and it is not in a superposition anymore. It is not entangled anymore, and you can't make entanglement anymore. So kind of the whole trick is to send only one photon that is entangled with your spin. Everything that you do more makes the system more or it makes the Probability of success only lower.
2: That makes sense. Um, uh, just a quick follow up. How do you generate a single photon?
5: So, um, what we do is we uh, put our uh, uh, NV center right in the qubit state, so in zero or one. So, if we want to have a single photon, we put it in the zero state and we send out uh, in a readout pulse. It excites it to the excited state. And if it falls back, the NV center, it can right? It can only emit one single photon. Uh, so uh, then there's only one photon. Uh, and that's how we generate these single photons, by putting the NV center in a in the zero state or in a superposition, shining in a laser. And then the NV center will emit only one photon or no photon.
2: That, okay. <laughs> I have to do more research on that one, but that's yeah, no, it's thing.
5: no, it's really fascinating, but this is, uh, uh, yeah. So you can also use it indeed as a single photon source.
3: Thanks. Ali, please go ahead. Thank
6: you. Um, sure. Thanks. Katrina. So my question is, uh, about, um, um, let me say in this way, <clears throat> um, you know, as you know, uh, for example, and the trapped atomic uh, qubits uh, normally, um, you know, they are normally appreciated um, um, in the quantum circuits for their short interactions, uh, high fidelity, uh, 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 fed, uh, fidelity, and also relatively long, uh, you know, uh, long quantum memory. Uh, uh, however, uh, we know the constructing of a stable quantum network, um, or in, in constructing the stable uh, the quantum network, the atomic assembly, uh, can be considered as uh, you know the preferred candidate uh, for uh, for the long uh, long-range interactions. Um, just I, I'd like to know if uh, if your experiments can give us a better understanding of long-range quantum teleportation. Um, you know, between uh, light and macroscopic materials, or we still have, uh, you know, lots a- ahead of us to be. That's the.
5: Yeah, thank you for your question. I'm. I'm not sure whether I agree that it's clear that uh, cold atoms will be the preferred system. Um, so I think they have some amazing uh, capabilities, but the challenging part of building a quantum network is that it's not about the highest. Uh, purity of photons coming out, it's not about the the gate fidelity, it's not about the entanglement rate, but it's about combining all of this together so currently it's quite challenging for uh, cold atoms to store information because uh, you can't store information uh, uh, while reading out your system, right? We can use, we can read out our electron and still preserve our a memory qubit. For uh, for cold atom experiments, you need two different species, but that that's already more challenging. So I'm um, I'm not sure whether whether uh, the cold atoms will be the best in the end. And I think this is kind of currently uh, the the open question in our field: uh, which type of system will fulfill all of the requirements together right so you want to have a a bright uh, system Uh, so the center is not really bright it's okay but not really bright you want to have really good um, uh, spin properties or qubit properties you want to have a a very long um, memory qubits Um, you want to be able to integrate it probably on a chip or in some high volume so so I think this This I see as kind of the the challenging part to combine all of the things together. Um, And then I think there are still quite a few candidates out there, uh, including the uh, trapped ions, uh, cold atoms, but also really the defects in solids, and not just diamond, but also silicon carbide, or maybe silicon in the future, uh, to fulfill all these requirements at the same time and be used as a quantum node.
6: Yeah, thanks Hans. Yeah well the crystallographic defects in crystalline materials um you know plays a big role yep. um in yeah in everything we can say. Um yeah, thanks a lot. And also thanks Katrina for the opportunity Have a wonderful rest of the day.
3: Yeah, thank you so much. And um yeah, thank you so much Hans for um giving us all this time and you know sharing your work with us and answering all of our questions. This was really, um, very interesting and amazing how you explained everything and um, we really appreciate and thank you everyone for asking great questions um, to make this, to to also help making this room like really interesting. So yeah, thank you Hans and-
5: uh, Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it.
3: I hope are you continuing your research in this field. Maybe you come back in the future with more updates if you if you would like that. That would be your yeah. Reason. That would be great. Yeah. Perfect. And yeah, enjoy the rest of your week. And um, yeah, again, we really appreciate everyone here, and especially you, Hans. And um, yeah, follow the club if you like rooms like this. We have. Um, a couple of days where we have actually two rooms. So tomorrow we have Dr. Pandey talking about um, a new epigenetic treatment for anxiety disorder and alcohol use disorder. And then we'll have Dr. Cassidy in the evening um, talking about locus coeruleus degeneration and Alzheimer's and novel techniques he developed to, develop to um, disentangle um, this um, insight. And on Wednesday, we have Dr. Vogt uh, from Germany joining to talk about brain signal pathways that control food intake, and uh, Dr. Campisi talking about CD8T cells um, that characterize um, ALS disorder. Um, and on Friday, we'll have Dr. Liao, uh, he will join us. Um, to talk about deep-sea virus that was um, discovered and gives us some more insights of the origins of complex life. Um, so, yeah, will be a continuous, um, interesting week. So follow the club. And Hans, thank you again so much for this amazing talk. We really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for coming. This is a completely fascinating talk. It's incredible. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Nice
1: yeah, thank you so much for coming. And thanks everyone for asking such great and wonderful questions.
0: Okay, bye.
1: Bye, we'll close the room in three, two,
3: one. Bye.
0: Bye everyone.